This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Marfan syndrome from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Marfan syndrome is a congenital connective tissue disorder caused by a mutation in the fibrillin 1 gene that presents with long narrow limbs, skeletal abnormalities, cardiovascular abnormalities, and ocular abnormalities. Diagnosis is made with the Ghent nosology criteria supplemented with cardiology and genetics assessment. Treatment involves a multidisciplinary approach to address orthopedic manifestations, cardiovascular abnormalities, and ocular abnormalities. Now let's get into the episode. Starting with epidemiology, the incidence of Marfan syndrome is 1 in 10,000 people. As far as demographics, there is no ethnic or gender predilection that is known. Moving on to etiology, the genetics of Marfan syndrome is autosomal dominant, and there is a mutation in the fibrillin 1 or FBN1 gene. This is located on chromosome 15, locus CH15Q21. There are multiple mutations that have been identified, and keep in mind that sporadic mutation may also occur in 30% of cases. Associated orthopedic conditions with Marfan syndrome includes arachnodactyly, which manifests with long slender digits, scoliosis in 50% of patients, protrusio acetabuli in 15-25% to of patients, ligamentous laxity, recurrent dislocations such as the patella, shoulder, and fingers, pes planovalgus, dural ectasia in greater than 60% of patients, meningocele, and pectus excavatum or coronatum. Non-orthopedic conditions associated with Marfan syndrome include certain cardiac abnormalities like aortic root dilatation, aortic dissection, and mitral valve prolapse. Other non-orthopedic conditions associated with Marfan syndrome include superior lens dislocations in 60% of cases, spontaneous pneumothorax, and skin striae, as well as recurrent hernias. Moving on to the presentation of Marfan syndrome, as far as history, scoliosis is usually the first manifestation to be diagnosed, and there may be a history of ankle sprains secondary to ligamentous laxity. As far as symptoms of Marfan syndrome, most cases are asymptomatic. On physical exam, you may find dolicostenomelia, in which the arm span is greater than the height at a greater than 1.05 ratio. You may also find arachnodactyly, which again manifests with long, thin toes and fingers. You may see what's known as the thumb sign, which means the tip of the thumb extends beyond the small finger when the thumb is clasped in the palm under the four fingers. You may also see what's known as the wrist sign, in which the distal phalanges of the thumb and small fingers overlap when wrapped around the opposite wrist. You may also find ligamentous hyperlaxity, scoliosis, and pes planus. Moving on to imaging, recommended radiographs include a scoliosis series of the spine. Findings may include scoliosis and or kyphosis. An MRI of the spine should be done prior to surgery and should specifically look for dural ectasia. In terms of cardiac studies, a cardiac evaluation should be done prior to surgery. Specifically, you should obtain a cardiac consult and an echocardiogram. As far as diagnosis, Keep in mind that the orthopedist may be the first provider to identify manifestations and suspect diagnosis. Therefore, you should refer to cardiology or genetics if multiple manifestations are found. Remember that the Ghent nosology is used to assist in diagnosis. General treatment of Marfan syndrome can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes beta blockers, which are medications that are used to decrease the risk of aortic dilatation. Observation and orthotics can also be indicated as non-operative modalities for generalized joint laxity. As far as operative considerations, again, preoperative evaluation should include cardiology consultation, which should be required before any surgery. Scoliosis treatment in the setting of Marfan syndrome can be non-operative or operative. 
Non-operative management includes bracing in the early treatment of a mild curve. However, keep in mind as far as outcomes, this is less effective than for idiopathic scoliosis. Operative options for scoliosis in Marfan syndrome includes a posterior spinal fusion plus or minus anterior spinal fusion with instrumentation. Indications include a rapidly progressing curve in a skeletally immature patient, large curves in a skeletally mature patient. You can extend the construct to avoid, quote, adding on and fuse the pelvis for distal curves with pelvic obliquity or poor distal fixation. Keep in mind that a growing rod construct may be required in younger patients. And once again, remember to obtain an MRI to identify dural ectasia prior to surgery. As far as outcomes, there is a higher complication rate in the setting of Marfan syndrome than in the setting of idiopathic scoliosis surgery. Now, let's talk about acetabular protrusio treatment. This can be treated non-operatively with observation, or operative options can be considered if the acetabular protrusio is progressing on radiographs or causing pain. Operative options for the skeletally immature will cause closure of the triradiate cartilage, which is controversial. Operative intervention in the skeletally mature may include valgus osteotomy for younger patients with minimal arthritis or total hip replacement in older patients with symptomatic arthritis. Now, let's end this review session talking about complications of Marfan syndrome, specifically postoperative complications after scoliosis surgery. Overall, there is a higher complication rate compared to idiopathic scoliosis, as we previously mentioned. Specific complications include fixation failure, which is the most common complication secondary to thin laminae, thin pedicles, and osteopenia. There's also higher risk of fixation failure than adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Infection is another potential complication, and again, there is a higher risk of infection in Marfan syndrome than in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Pseudoarthrosis is another potential complication, and again, there is a higher risk of pseudoarthrosis in Marfan syndrome than in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Dural tear and intraoperative CSF leak can be seen in 8% of cases, and this too has a higher risk than in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Another potential complication is curve decompensation and need for reoperation, and this also has a higher risk than in adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Blood loss has the same complication rate as adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, as is postoperative neurologic deficits and length of hospital stay. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A patient presents with back pain. An MRI reveals dural ectasia. She is known to have a condition caused by a misfolded glycoprotein leading to accumulation of TGF-beta in the lungs, heart valves, and aorta. Which of the following is associated with this condition? And the choices are one, positive thumb and wrist signs, two, spinal stenosis, three, odontoid hypoplasia, four, a lecranon fracture, and five, enlarged calves. The correct answer to this question is one, positive thumb and wrist signs. So the combination of the clinical presentation, lab findings, and MRI imaging reflect a diagnosis of dural lactasia present in a patient with Marfan syndrome. The thumb and wrist signs are positive in Marfan syndrome, which are the result of a combination of long fingers and loose joints. The characteristic Walker-Murdoch, otherwise known as the wrist sign, is represented by full overlap of the distal phalanges of the thumb and fifth finger when wrapped around the contralateral wrist, whereas the Steinberg, or thumb sign, is present when the distal phalanx of the thumb fully extends beyond the ulnar border of the hand when folded across the palm. Marfan syndrome is caused by a mutation in the FBN1 gene on chromosome 15q21. Marfan syndrome is caused by misfolding of the fibrillin-1 glycoprotein. 
the misfolded protein binds and sequesters TGF-beta poorly, leading to accumulation in multiple sites. Sponsler et al. reviewed the clinical signs of Marfan syndrome. They found that the most common features were craniofacial features, high arch palate, positive thumb and wrist signs, and scoliosis. They recommend that patients with three to four physically evident features or two highly specific features, like thumb and wrist signs, craniofacial features, duralactasia, or protrusio, should be re-examined and referred for an echocardiogram or genetics consult. Shirley et al. reviewed Marfan syndrome, and they recommend low-intensity dynamic exercise like swimming, biking, and jogging, and avoidance of high-intensity exercises like weightlifting, martial arts, and sprinting, and contact sports as well to protect the aorta and the lens. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, spinal stenosis is incorrect, as this is typically seen in achondroplasia. Answer 3, odontoid hypoplasia is incorrect, as this is seen in Morchio syndrome and pseudoachondroplasia. Answer 4, olecranon fracture is incorrect, as this is typically seen in osteogenesis imperfecta. And finally, answer 5, enlarged calves is incorrect, as calf pseudohypertrophy is seen in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Moving on to the next question. A 15-year-old male presents for further evaluation of spinal malalignment. Notable examination findings include ectopia lentis and a positive wrist sign. PA and lateral radiographs demonstrate scoliosis. Surgical correction of his spine deformity is recommended. Compared to patients with adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, all of the following are true except. And the choices are 1. The patient should undergo preoperative MRI of the spine. 2. The patient should undergo preoperative echocardiogram and evaluation by cardiology. 3. The patient is at increased risk of instrumentation failure and subsequent reoperation. 4. The patient is at increased risk of postoperative neurologic deficits. And five, the patient is at increased risk of intraoperative cerebrospinal fluid leaks. The correct answer to this question is four, the patient is at increased risk of postoperative neurologic deficits. So the patient in the question stem has clinical manifestations of Marfan syndrome. Patients with Marfan syndrome do not have an increased risk of neurologic deficits following surgical spinal deformity correction compared to patients with adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, the patient should undergo preoperative MRI of the spine is incorrect, as preoperative MRI of the spine is required to look for duralactasia, which may increase the risk of intraoperative CSF leak. Answer 2, the patient should undergo preoperative echocardiogram and evaluation by cardiology is also incorrect, as due to the cardiovascular manifestations of Marfan syndrome, preoperative echocardiogram and evaluation by cardiology is necessary to address the risk of aortic dissection and need for anticoagulation in the setting of prosthetic valves. Answer 3, the patient is at increased risk of instrumentation failure and subsequent reoperation is incorrect, as failure of fixation is more common in patients with Marfan syndrome because of thin lamina thin pedicles, and osteopenia. To minimize this risk, the number of fixation points should be maximized. Appropriate pedicles can be identified with preoperative CT scan and intraoperative distraction slash compression should be done slowly. Finally, answer 5, the patient is at increased risk of intraoperative CSF leaks is incorrect as patients with Marfan syndrome have a higher risk of intraoperative CSF leaks during spinal deformity surgery, most commonly as a result of the increased incidence of duralactasia. To quickly review, Marfan syndrome is an autosomal dominant disorder of connective tissue affecting the musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, pulmonary, ocular, and integumentary systems. It most commonly results from a mutation of fibrillin-1. Musculoskeletal manifestations include ligamentous laxity, protrusio acetabuli, scoliosis, and duralactasia. 
The major cardiovascular feature is dilatation or dissection of the ascending aorta, though mitral valve prolapse and dilatation of the main pulmonary artery or descending thoracic-slash-abdominal aorta may also be present. Shirley et al. stated that patients with Marfan syndrome tend to have scoliosis that progresses at a faster rate and is more resistant to bracing compared to patients with adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. These patients tend to have more frequent occurrences of duralectasia, which may cause headaches or back-slash-leg-slash-perineal pain, not typical of adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Spinal surgery in patients with Marfan syndrome has a higher complication rate, most commonly fixation failure in 21% of cases, infection in 10% of cases, pseudoarthrosis in 10% of cases, and dural tear in 8% of cases. Jalaj et al. performed a retrospective case control study concluding that patients with Marfan syndrome require more levels of surgical correction, more distal fusion slash fixation, greater correction of sagittal balance, more reoperations, and have more instrumentation-related complications and intraoperative CSF leaks. There was no difference between Marfan syndrome and adolescent idiopathic scoliosis groups with regards to blood loss, postoperative neurologic deficits, or length of hospital stay. Moving on to the next question. All the following are true regarding treatment of scoliosis in patients with Marfan syndrome except, and the choices are 1. Bracing is often effective if started early enough. 2. The cardiopulmonary condition of patients with Marfan syndrome should be evaluated and planned for before surgery. 3. Preoperative computed tomograph should be performed to assess bony adequacy for fixation. 4. Preoperative magnetic resonance imaging should be performed to evaluate for duralectasia. And 5. There is an increased rate of pseudoarthrosis postoperatively compared to adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. The correct answer to this question is 1. Bracing is often effective if started early enough. So spinal deformities are common in patients with Marfan syndrome and are usually refractory to conservative management. Jones et al. in a 2007 paper reviewed the treatment updates suggested during the symposium on the treatment of musculoskeletal aspects of Marfan syndrome. Specific to the spine, they reviewed the types of spine deformity, treatment methods, anatomic considerations prior to surgery, for example, duralectasia, and operative complications. Preoperative evaluation of cardiopulmonary condition, bony adequacy, and duralectasia are all indicated. Jones et al. in 2002 paper reviewed their treatment of 39 patients with Marfan syndrome treated with instrumented spinal fusion for scoliosis or kyphosis. They found increased blood loss, postoperative infection, dural tear, instrumentation fixation failure, pseudoarthrosis, and curved decompensation. And moving on to the final question. Marfan syndrome is an autosomal dominant disorder which results from a defective gene encoding 4, and the choices are 1, elastin, 2, fibrillin, 3. Fibroblast growth factor receptor 3, or FGFR3. 4. Collagen type 1. And 5. Collagen type 2. The correct answer to this question is 2. Fibrillin. So Marfan syndrome is an autosomal dominant connective tissue disorder caused by a mutation in the gene encoding for fibrillin. Fibrillin is a glycoprotein common in many tissues, which is a structural component of elastin-containing microfibrils. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, elastin is incorrect, as a defect in elastin is associated with supravalvular aortic stenosis and autosomal dominant cutis laxa. Answer 3, fibroblast growth factor receptor 3, or FGFR3, is incorrect, as the defect in FGFR3 is associated with a chondroplasia. Answer 4, collagen type 1 is incorrect, as a defect in type 1 collagen is associated with osteogenesis imperfecta and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. 
Finally, answer five, collagen type two is incorrect as a defect in collagen type two is associated with spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, achondrogenesis, and Stickler syndrome. To quickly review once again, Marfan syndrome is characterized by individuals with long, thin limbs, myopia, duralectasia, and ectopia lentis. Associated medical conditions include cardiac abnormalities like mitral valve prolapse and superior lens dislocations. Orthopedic conditions include but are not limited to arachnodactyly, scoliosis, and ligamentous laxity. Sponsler et al. performed a study with the goals of determining the prevalence of current diagnostic findings in Marfan syndrome. They found physical features with the highest diagnostic yield were craniofacial characteristics, thumb and wrist signs, pectus excavatum, and severe hindfoot valgus. They recommend patients with three to four physically evident features or two highly specific features, for example, thumb and wrist signs, craniofacial features, duralectasia, or protrusio, should be carefully re-examined and possibly referred for an echocardiogram or a genetics consultation. Shirley and Sponsler reviewed the diagnosis and treatment of Marfan syndrome. They report, quote, compared to patients with idiopathic scoliosis, patients with Marfan syndrome tend to have scoliosis that progresses at a faster rate and is more resistant to bracing. Undergoing scoliosis surgery is complicated by greater blood loss, pseudoarthrosis, and additional curvature, and have more frequent occurrences of duralectasia, which may cause headaches, leg pain, or perineal pain. That's all for this review about Marfan syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.